Those were the same men who had spent the night before praying for each other in small groups. Those were the, the same men who had spent a whole weekend filling a room with loud voices singing songs to Jesus and opening up God's word. It felt like a, a full weekend of joyful worship with no interruptions for free time, right? And so this morning, we're gonna make our way through this short section of John chapter 15. It's a part of scripture that begins with the Last Supper in chapter 14. It goes through chapter 18. And then at the end of chapter 14, Jesus says, come, let us leave. And so we believe that much of this might have been spoken as they were walking into the garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus would be arrested and crucified very shortly. And so it's likely that, that some of these words are, are, are just Jesus' final plea to his disciples and includes all sorts of incredible wisdom for Christian living and a whole lot of insight into how we are to live in the time before Christ's return. And so in John chapter 15, we find this really cool passage here. It's very well known. But at the end of this particular chunk of Scripture, Jesus says this. Look at verse 11. Sorry. Yeah, verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. We want to be a church of people who have the joy of Christ dwelling in us, a church whose joy is full. And so this morning, we're going to talk about what it means to be a joyful church. And I want to go back to the first 10 verses in light of this verse, verse 11, and we're going to seek after biblical joy this morning. All right, Village Church? Verse 1. Here we go. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. First thing we see so clearly in John 15, we are made to abide in Christ. And this is of first importance for God's people, more so than anything that we can accomplish. Our life will be filled with opportunities of things we can do for Christ, but all of it is empty if this is not flowing out of being with Christ. First and foremost, we abide with Christ. This is important for us because we're doers. People can accomplish all sorts of great things and, and climb the ladder very quickly. And in Christian culture, and e even in churches, people can be elevated very quickly based on their skills, their talents. You got a lot of small churches who need a lot of help, and so some guy comes stumbling in, plays guitar in a metal band. You are the new worship leader, right? <laughs> this is why Christian leaders shouldn't just be evaluated on what they can achieve, but on humility and longevity and faithfulness over time. That's why we should respect faithful Christians who have served God for many years. That's why we gather up in Bible studies and we want to see the young men and the young women with the older men and the older women and learning from them and connecting with them. Because the branches who hold tightly to the vine will be strengthened over seasons. And time will bring about much fruit on those branches. And time will also reveal those branches that were not connected 
to the vine. What we're seeing in culture right now is that so often the ones who are quick to want to be on stage or want to have a microphone or want to have a podcast about theology or want to write books, they look great, they speak eloquently, they tell good jokes, they're young and competent, but time reveals they didn't abide in Christ and in his word. We're a quick, fast-paced culture. If you're good at something, we elevate you quickly. Like, if you've been a Christian for more than three months and you don't already have your own theology podcast, are you really a Christian? 2022, it's like, hey, I'm Parker, I'm 13 years old, I became a Christian at summer camp last month. This is my new theology podcast. My guest this week is my girlfriend, Megan. She just, uh, she just finished reading Mere Christianity by CS Whatever and She's going to teach us today my theology podcast. This happens in the Christian music industry. Everyone wants to travel the world playing guitar and being on a stage, but how many of these professing Christians in the last few years have come out recently and saying, I stopped believing in Jesus like 10 years ago? The root of our faith is not just being able to say the right things. The root of our faith is the person of Jesus Christ. And so you can say, the root is the root, right? Write that down. (laughs) Are we abiding in the vine? Are we friends with Jesus, first and foremost? Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. Are we friends with Jesus? In the year 2004, many of you, so young, There was a popular Christian worship song, and the entire chorus was this. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. It repeats. It repeats it. I'm a friend of God. I'm a friend of God. He calls me friend, right? Remember that one? It's great. We're singing it too. Just kidding. We're not. I remember as a teenage Christian in the youth group and in the youth group band, it was so cool to make fun of that song. It's so cheesy. It sounds like a kid on a playground walking up to another kid and saying, do you want to be my friend? You know, it's cheesy. But around that time, I started playing music more regularly with a worship leader who really shaped a lot of my life and how I understood friendship with God and intimacy with God. And going through a simple day in communion with the Spirit of God. And one day, that song came up and he said to me, you know what, I like that song. (laughs) and I don't care what anyone says, and I like singing it, and we're going to play it, and I think we should sing it because it's true. (laughs) I'm a friend of God. God calls me friend. The first thing we see really clearly in our passage this morning is that the life that abides in Christ is a life of joyful friendship, first and foremost. We've been invited into friendship with God. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. Some of the most joyful Christians that you will find are the ones who simply abide in Christ day after day, a simple faith, a simple purpose for their life, trusting in God, declaring the good news, faithful to the word, friendship with God. You know what, Village Church, for every every prosperity, gospel, false teacher, 
flying around on a private jet, wearing shoes that cost more money than your car, sitting in a steakhouse complaining about the server. (laughs) For every one of those, there's also a single Christian mother standing in the kitchen making a simple dinner for her children, exhausted from a long day, but choosing to put on a worship album and finding in her the desire to sing along to the music. An offering to the Lord, pouring out the last few shekels of energy that she has for the day. Again, the life that abides in Christ is a life of joyful friendship. Amen? Yeah. Keep going. Look at verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Very simple. But we say, that's a bit of a dramatic statement, right, Jesus? Seven billion people on earth, and we can't do anything? Seems like an exaggeration. You say, my neighbor's an atheist. He just built a go-kart. Explain that. Checkmate, Christians. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying, you can do a whole lot of things, but apart from God, these things will prove to be nothing. And verse 6 is the end for all who don't belong to God. Hell is the end for those who are not clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Because all of our earthly accomplishments will measure to nothing on the scale. You can plant trees. You can save whales. You can build hospitals. You can knit scarves for dogs and whatnot. When you stand before God, the list of your accomplishments only needs to include one thing, and that is that you belong to Christ. You belong to the vine. There are many people spending many days doing many things, but apart from Christ, all things are ultimately empty. And so the second thing we see, the life that abides in Christ is a life of joyful purpose. I think Jesus in this full passage is saying two things. First, that that all worthy endeavors take place in connection with the vine. And second, that, that this is for our joy. Our earthly accomplishments are not building our value and worth. Our earthly deeds are not going to make us righteous and worthy of God. And when we believe this, We're free as God's people to just cling to Christ as God intended and bear fruit in him joyfully, it says. That's why there's something so beautiful about simple obedience to a purpose-filled life, connected to the vine one day at a time. And we love stories of Christian men and women throughout history, right? My favorite one I talk about all the time, Adoniram Judson. He gave his life to preach the gospel in the jungles of Southeast Asia for 40 years. And by the time you're dead and gone, these big numbers, they just become like words on a Wikipedia page for us, right? We just 
get to go on Wikipedia and just casually read, oh, he, he served there for 40 years. That's a big number. But for Judson, he actually had to do each year, one year at a time, believe it or not. And each one of those years had a whole bunch of days in it. It's like how it works. And each one of those days, he had to wake up and decide, you know what? I'm not leaving, right? Even though he woke up in sickness or in shackles many of those days, 15,000 mornings of choosing the vine of Christ. There's a book written by Michael Horton called Ordinary. Many of you have read it. We, we read it over the course of one of our retreats, and he has this quote that I thought was pretty cool. <laughs> he says, We may admire Mother Teresa and her daily commitment to the poor, but we would rather win the lottery. <laughs> and you're reading that, and you're like, yeah, well. If it was 2022, and Mother Teresa was paying 60 bucks to fill up her Honda Civic, she'd probably say the same thing. All these great, faithful Christians, they've logged a lot of good numbers on their Wikipedia pages. Let me just tell you, right? George Mueller cared for 10,000 orphans in his life. That's pretty cool. Get that on your Wikipedia page. But it was just one day at a time, and it was just one child at a time. And most importantly, it was one day at a time that famously he spent in prayer beginning at 4 a.m. I think the reality is we don't realize that the deepest joy is found in the daily commitment and the daily communion, not just the lifetime achievement. Does that make sense? Let's recap this real quick. God's design is that we live lives of purposeful, meaningful work. And God has not promised that life will be a constant thrill of excitement, but he has promised is that if we stay connected to him as the vine, we will have joy in the everyday, ordinary obedience, right? Again, the life that abides in Christ is a life of joyful purpose. What else? Keep going. One more thing. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Apart from Christ, our works prove to mean nothing. But with Christ, we are invited into joyful, purposeful work. And in this work, we have a relationship with God, and it is full of love, verse 9. And it is a relationship of provision. God is our provider. God is the one who looks out for us. Ultimately, third thing, the life that abides in Christ is a life of joyful provision. He says, ask whatever you wish. If you are in Christ, if you are living for the glory of Christ, if you are praying like we saw last Sunday, your will be done. 
And God is for you. God is on your side. And you will have what you need to face each day. Look at verse 9, though. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. There's a lot of things that we think we need to face the days ahead. We think we need more income, a new career. We think we need a, a clear vision for where to live and what to do or who to marry. More than anything, the thing that we need as God's people is simply to know that we are loved by Christ and we abide in him. To know that we are loved by a God who has chosen us in spite of all that we've done. To know that we're loved by a God who's not looking for a reason to toss us aside. Bill Church, do you believe that you're loved by God? And this brings us to the last verse, verse 11. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. God wants us to be full of joy. It's crazy to say that out loud. And to think that the majority of the world does not believe that. That God wants us to be full of of joy. He, he, he prioritizes our joy. Bill's Church, we value joy because God values joy. How would you examine that in your life? If someone asked you today, is your life marked by joy? If you went home and asked yourself, would people describe me as joyful? If you have kids, would my kids describe me as joyful? You know, if you're visiting us this morning and you're not a Christian, I'll just say this is the message of Jesus. We call it the gospel. That in Christ we find forgiveness for our sins and a new life and purpose and joy in Jesus Christ. But if you are a Christian in here and your life is not marked by joy, well, you need more of that same gospel, right? To believe that Christ has set us free from the need to achieve great things, to earn our salvation, to be worthy of salvation by our own merit. The gospel leaves us very humbled, that's for sure but it also leaves us in a place where we have nothing but to cling to the vine. And that's a really great thing for our joy. Amen? Yeah. Two quick things on this. Number one, joy is an act of delight and worship. Joy is an act of delight and worship. We are choosing these things. It's an active thing. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Paul says clearly, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. And how is God most glorified in us? In his book, Desiring God, John Piper gives one of the most well-known answers to that question. He's built his life and ministry around this statement. God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. 
when God's children can find joy in the midst of every season of life, it is a declaration to the world that we are not seeking easy days. We're not seeking a good luck charm in God. We are satisfied in God himself. We are content in God. When we abide in God, when we delight in God, when we choose this day who we will serve. When we do that, we declare that God is sufficient for our needs. And we're choosing to be branches that are connected to a great vine. And in this unwavering joy, the world will see a glimpse of the glory of God in us, right? Habakkuk chapter 3 says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. That's who we can be. The person who is able to say, yet I will rejoice in all things, is the person who is reflecting their delight in God. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. I'm not satisfied based on how full my pantry is. I'm not satisfied based on how large my bank account is. My satisfaction is in Christ. All other things might waver. Second thing, joy is an act of faith and trust. When we choose to pursue joy, we are saying that we don't have to control every outcome of this world. We trust that we can enjoy laughter together and meals together that we can delight in fellowship with the community that God has shaped in this place, in this time, in this season. We can trust that God is on the move. We can trust that God's resources are not finite when we choose joy. Wasn't that the message to God's people in the desert? God says, I'm going to feed you every day with food from heaven. And you're going to be tempted to say, okay, this is really good. <laughs> We're going to need to stockpile this stuff. What if we face some harder days? Maybe we should just eat half of it. And God is saying, I'm sorry. Is there some other God who makes food rain down from heaven for you? I didn't think so. So if I'm capable of doing this for you today, do you think it's possible that I'm capable of doing it tomorrow? <laughs> do you really think that my storehouses are limited? Do you think this is some sort of limited edition manna? <laughs> do you think we have a supply chain issue in heaven? This is why joyful Sabbath rest is an active rebellion against our culture, right? Because our culture says you can't afford to slow down. You can't afford to rest. You can't afford to stop working and stop thinking and stop planning your next move. You can't afford to stop worrying about the future. And Sabbath rest 
says, yes, I can. (laughs) Because I'm not my own provider. And in the same way that God's people can rejoice in suffering and in hard days, God's people can rejoice as they gather in homes and laugh together and feast together, knowing that God is a flowing river that does not run dry. There's an endless supply. There's so much work to be done, but God is on the throne, not me, not you, and that's a good thing. Amen, Village Church? good news for us this morning. If God is all we need in every season, (laughs) we can have joy in every season. Because God's not going anywhere. Right? I want to end with this. Last Sunday, uh, I was here with us worshiping, and then um, that afternoon, I drove down to another Acts 29 church where um, Chris Pobletti is the pastor at King's Cross, and it's a church that we help support, and we help send some people over there, and it's down in um, RSM, and they're part of our Acts 29 network, and, and I was getting ready to um, just help them out and preach for their service in the afternoon, and, and I asked Chris, I said, who's leading worship uh, for the service? And he told me, and it was a guy that I know, uh, but I was very surprised by it. I wasn't expecting to find him singing songs to Jesus at all. (laughs) If anything, maybe I was expecting him to be sitting in the back of the service. Because four months ago, unexpectedly, he and his wife lost their three-month-old child. And so I stood in the front row as he led us in worship And I was just thinking, I wonder if I'd be able to sing all of these words the way that he's singing all of these words if I was walking through what he was walking through. And and one of the songs that he sang was a song that we sing here. And the chorus is one line, and it says this. It says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. just a few months removed from one of the biggest tragedies you could ever face in life and standing, leading God's people to sing those words. The reality is when we abide in Christ, then God's glory in some incredible way can be our greatest hope, right? God can be our greatest joy because God is on the throne and, and This life is not forever, and these struggles of life are not forever, and the things that you face and the worries that consume you, they are not forever. And God will receive all the glory in the end. (laughs) But if we abide in him, we are going with him. Praise God. Amen? Yeah. And so we get to be a joyful church. Do we not? Yes. And this morning, we get to celebrate God. We get to celebrate what God is doing. We get to rejoice in seeing a baptism. We get to rejoice in celebrating lunch together after the service. I hope you can start smelling the food. And I want you to think, you know what? Pastor David plans his sermon illustrations so well. We can smell the joy this morning. (laughs) 
Would you pray with me? God, you are a good, good God for us. God, you are a strong vine that we can trust, that we can cling to. And God, we rejoice in you. God, we thank you that you've invited us into this. You've invited us into your purpose. God, we're a people who can be consumed by the future. We're a people who can be consumed by all of the things that we think we need. God, may we just believe ultimately that you are our provider. You are all that we need. You are on our side. You're a good God. God, may we be a joyful people, not just because we want to be happy or because we like laughing or because we like celebrating. God, may we be a joyful people because we love you and we want the world to see how worthy you are. God, may many people come to know you by the joy and the fruitfulness of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.